Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. to the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur Podcast. Matt here again with you, uh, back again after last week. Um, before I get into this week's podcast, I did want to talk a little bit about last week's. Um, so uh, when I discovered that TalkShoe had a, a podcasting feature, I was really excited because it's, uh, you know, uh, there's no, no, no price with it. It's free, uh, which helps me out to, to, to defray costs. Um, so I recorded that podcast. And I didn't realize that when you record it, it once it processes it, it immediately goes up to like iTunes and all of those places, so it's immediately published. So I wanted to, you know, clean it up a little bit, at least get the uh, the, the great theme song that John Cross from After Movie Diner had created for us. I wanted to get that in there as well, but also I did that podcast just to see how it all would work out. And it was really extemporaneous. It was just me kind of talking off the top of my head about things I hadn't really planned out what I was going to say. A lot of ahs and ums in there, that kind of thing. So it wasn't my best work. What happened was I went to put it on Twitter. So I posted it on Twitter. And then when I went to go put it on Facebook, I realized, you know, do I really want to be telling everybody about this podcast? Because it wasn't wasn't the best. So I didn't put it on Facebook. I'm hoping going forward as I get the hang of it, like I'm hoping today's is going to be one that is quality enough that I would put on Facebook and, and tell everybody about it. I'm hoping as I go, I'm going to get better at this. And it's going to be a much more, you know, a higher quality uh, work that, People are, 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 you know, it's going to be something that I'm, I'm going to want to tell people about. Hoping to in the future to get, uh, to start getting guests on the show, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think with guests on the show, I think that's something that will, will make the podcast a little bit better than just me talking. The problem is right now with getting guests on the show is that I don't always know when I'm going to be recording. So it's hard to pin down a time um, with, with a guest when I don't know when I'm going to have. So hopefully if I get a more more set schedule, I can then start, you know, inviting people to see if anybody wants to be on the show. And we don't even know if I'll get any guests if anybody wants to be on the show. But hopefully we can kind of make that work a little bit more. So that's just something I wanted to put out there about last week's episode. And like I said, hopefully we'll get the quality up as we go. Before I get into this week's, I do want to make a couple of announcements about what's up, coming up here in the future uh, with the direct-to-video connoisseur. Uh, in November, we've got movies coming from Dolph Lundgren, uh, Steven Seagal, Scott Atkins. Plus, we're going to be adding a new member of the direct-to-video 
uh, Connoisseur Hall of Fame for the first time in years. Um, this person, uh, if you're curious, I can give a hint about who's going to be inducted. Uh, he's, he's notorious for his screaming uh, when it comes to the explosive action scenes. So um, that's, that's who we're going to be uh, inducting. Also about the Hall of Fame, I used to have the list of the Hall of Famers on the site, and it was all hyperlinks where you could go and see all the reviews of the movies that I've done for all of them. When I lost the domain and the uh, company that was putting malware out there took over the domain, I just immediately just took that whole thing down. So I need to get the Hall of Fame list back up, which I'm going to hopefully do soon. But um, I don't remember everybody who was in the Hall of Fame. So when I put that list up there, if anybody sees it and see somebody missing that they remembered being in the Hall of Fame, let me know, and I can always add them back in. But hopefully, I'll get everybody up there when I get up soon, but um, it's exciting to finally add somebody, and, and you know, hopefully, if we're going to be doing this again next year at this time, I'll add a new member or two to, to the Hall of Fame as well. We'll kind of keep that going again. All right, so without any further ado, kind of get into the meat of the podcast here, and last week, I was looking at two movies that I'd reviewed recently, and I decided to go a little bit different here and maybe, you know, talk about the movie that I did this week for the, the, the blog, uh, Chopping Mom. But before I do that, I wanted to comment on a, uh, a point of controversy or discussion that's been happening in the movie industry recently, and maybe do that with, with each podcast as well. So talk about something that's generating buzz around the industry, and then also talk about the movie that I reviewed recently. So that topic this week is that comment that Martin Scorsese made a couple weeks ago about Marvel movies, right, saying uh, Marvel movies, those aren't cinema, uh, which I thought was, a, you know, of course, it was an interesting comic. You know, Twitter was a buzz. Um, everybody was, was either outraged or okay with it. Um, and I can understand the outrage, especially if you were somebody making those movies. Um, I know if I were a novelist and, you know, I made a whole series of really popular novels and then uh, one of my heroes, like Salman Rushdie, said, no, that's not literature. Um, I want to say I'd be upset. Actually, I don't think I would be upset. I'd be like, oh my God, Salman Rushdie's talking about my books. I, I don't care if he says they're crap. I think that's great. Um, so maybe I'm a little different than that. But point is, I get where people were upset. Um, I also think that maybe it's good to kind of look at where Martin Scorsese was coming with that too, because I think I don't think he was trying to be the arbiter of what's cinema and what isn't. Um, I think there's there some deeper issues involved there. Before I get too into this, I do want to kind of go over my Marvel credentials as it is, because I, I think it might be easy for me to, it might be easy for you to think I'm writing off Marvel movies. Um, so I used to be a huge fan of Marvel back in the uh, early 90s. Big fan of, you know, all, all the major ones. Uh, X-Men, Spider-Man, uh, Daredevil, Ghost Rider. I used to collect all Silver Surfer. I think he might have been my favorite. A lot of those. I was, I was big fans of all of those. And I think if you had told me back then, in seventh grade that all these Marvel movies were going to blow up and they were going to do movies about like the Infinity War and stuff like that, I would be so excited. Of course, now I'm a little bit older and I still love Marvel. Um, I play Marvel Puzzle Quest, uh, so I, I, I do still enjoy Marvel things. But I kind of also think that the movies are, for me, they're a little bit too big. You know, I don't have two and a half hours or three hours. I, it, that's too much for me to spend on a Marvel movie. I think the last one I saw was Ragnarok, because that one, the Thor Ragnarok, seemed like it would be more my speed. And even that one didn't quite do it for me, because it just, just felt like the way that the plot went. It went your classic, I don't know, you know, uh, hero saves the day, hero runs into peril, hero, you know, escapes peril, um, hero is dire situation where you may not make it out of this oh he suddenly survives you know that kind of thing you, you can kind of see the progression of how it's going to work and 
I, you know, just for me, it was, I, I thought it was going to be more offbeat than it was. I thought it was going to be more something different than it was. So I get, I, you know, for, for me, they, they don't always work for me, but I also get why people like them. I get why people enjoy them. I think Martin Scorsese is coming from a different place about these. I think necessarily think, I mean, yes, he did make some comments like, you know, there's no character development, things like that. And when you think of Martin Scorsese's character arcs in his movies, I mean, when you think of Taxi Driver and how, you know, uh, Travis Bickle is developed, when you think of movies like Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, uh, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, um, especially Raging Bull and Goodfellas, where you're talking about real ki- you know, real people, you know, these are based on true stories, and he's still building an arc in a way that just it just is intense and, and it's 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 compelling. Yes, I can see how Martin Scorsese would look at a Marvel movie and be like, you know, the way that they're developing Thor is is, is doesn't compare to the way I developed Jake LaMotta or the you know the way that I developed Jesus in Last Temptation of Christ, right? You know, yeah, I can kind of see that part of it, um, but I think there's more. Uh, where Martin Scorsese, I think, is ruining sort of where the movie industry has gone completely. Um, one thing I remember is in the early 2000s, Martin Scorsese was featured in an Entertainment Weekly article when they were out in Italy um, on the set of Gangs of New York. And Tom Cruise had visited the set. I think maybe he was doing like a Mission Impossible or something at that time. But visited the set. You know, he knew Martin Scorsese from when they did um, Color of Money back in the 80s. And he's out there visiting him. And uh, I guess he's asking him how the, the shoot was going. And, you know, the, the Weinstein brothers were, were producing uh, Gangs of New York. And Martin Scorsese says, you know, look at this building here. I want this to be a three-dimensional building. I want it to have walls on the sides and the back. And the Weinsteins will only let me have the front of the building. They just will only let me just – they're only paying for the front. So Tom Cruise goes to the Weinsteins and says, come on, guys. Let Marty have his building. And, of course, they go and build it for him. So we're talking about Martin Scorsese here, who, you know, has made some of the greatest movies in the last 50 years. I think that's a an objective fact. I don't think it's something that's just me saying it from my personal feelings. I think you can you can say that. And he's got to get Tom Cruise to lobby the Weinstein brothers to get a building made. Now, can you imagine anybody who's making Avengers, you know, somebody who's making Avengers Endgame or whatever? going to Disney and saying like, hey, I need this building, and then being like, no, you can't have the building. No, they're going to be like, here, you can have four buildings, you know, as long as you keep it under a half a bill, we're going to make it back. You know, this building that you want to build, the product tie-in with Burger King will probably cover that, so don't worry about it, we're fine. That's a different world, right? And I can understand how that would be frustrating for Martin Scorsese to have to deal with that. I mean, his newest movie right now, The Irishman, it's going to have a short run in the theaters, but mostly it's going right to Netflix because there isn't a market anymore for Martin Scorsese. Better or worse, that's the reality. The the movie industry right now is the big blockbuster, and it's the horror movie. I mean, even the comedy is starting to fall out, right? The comedy romps, those those kind of movies that we used to love, that you you know, even up until like 10 or 15 years ago that were big, they're starting to go away as well, and it, it's it's really whittling itself down to these these small um, these small segments of the movie industry and then everything else is either getting limited runs, getting big city runs, and it's just going right to, to DVD, going right to Netflix on demand and all of that. I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing, but it's, it's a reality. Um, yeah, I think when I think of movies, I think of the 30s and the 70s as the two biggest decades for movies. And I think of the 90s as right up there with them. I mean, we think of you know the movies that I went to in the 90s. It's just it, it was it was amazing. You're just thinking about you're going to Pulp Fiction. I didn't get to see Pulp Fiction in the theater. I did see Jackie Brown. I did see you know I just 
kind of going through my head. I mean, there were, there were new Star Wars movies that were coming out, but you also you think of a, a lot of the uh, the indies that were out at that time. It was a really great decade for, for, for movies. As the decade ended, something changed, right, with the movie industry, and I think HBO played a huge part in it. Suddenly HBO was offering on television what these directors could do in movies, and they were offering it in a much ex more expansive format. Right? You think of what Sopranos did for six seasons. You, you think of like what Scorsese did with Goodfellas or what Coppola did with, Good, um, with, with the Godfather movies. Now you're talking about David Chase doing this over six seasons, 13 episodes per season, and HBO saying, yeah, you can do all the stuff that you want to do and more that you'd be able to do in a movie theater. I mean, that's amazing, right? I mean, we talk about what Scorsese's character development was like over a two-hour two movie or two-and-a-half-hour movie. Look at what David Chase was able to do with, with uh, Jane, James Gandolfini's character, you know, with Tony Soprano over all those seasons. Uh, it's just amazing. So now, you know, filmmakers are looking to say, oh, I can do this on TV. You know, I don't need to be limited by, by – um, by, by the, the the film industry and what the film industry allows me to do, so I think you saw a, a bit of an exodus of you know of talent going to those other places. And as you saw, you know, as we saw in the 2000s, it's like what we thought of in the movie industry in the 90s became TV in the 2000s with the shows that were being created at that time. And I think movies shifted into this, you know, they shifted into what TV was, right? We think of TV at that time; it was always safe programming, very few things. You know, you think of Every once in a while, something like like All in the Family would come along and really challenge the status quo. But for the most part, they were these sort of big top productions that just fit everybody underneath the same tent, and you just you wanted as many people to like it as possible. And and movies were the ones that would, would you, you could captivate a niche audience, or you could do something for just a few different people. And it, it sort of, it, the, the paradigm shifted in the 2000s, right? And now. TV became that one that was really out there doing the new things, and movies were playing it safe more and more. I think that's one thing. Also, I think when the movie theaters became so expensive, it became an outing to go see a movie, whereas when I was growing up, you could get a cheap matinee, maybe not you know, maybe smuggle in your own candy, right? Maybe not uh, spend a lot on popcorn and stuff, but you could kill time at the movie theater. People don't kill time at the movie theater as much anymore. So now it's like the only things they're going to see are that big Friday night movie that they want to see. Um, they're not filtering down to the other ones that you'd kill time with that you just like, okay, let's just check this out. Um, also, I think even probably like the, the, the reviewings, you know, people only review the big ones. Um, but I remember when I was growing up, it was like, okay, you know, Oh, I'm 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 ready to hang out, but my friends, you know, getting out of work in a few hours. So, okay, a couple of us are just gonna go see a movie and kill time for those few hours. You don't do that anymore. You go get coffee somewhere or something like that because you're talking about spending 50 bucks or something like that to kill time. It, like that's not a, a kill time kind of thing, and especially for kids. I think even more so, right, with a limited budget. So, I think that that's hurt. I don't know if you'd say it's hurt the industry, but it's it's shifted the the focus so that Hollywood's saying like, okay, if fewer people are going to the movie, um, and they're they're only going at certain, you know, for certain big things we need to make everyone that we put out there count so they're putting all of their their resources into the marvel movies into those big budget things and into the horror movies that they know are going to make their money back um unfortunately scorsese isn't that anymore right i don't know if he ever was that necessarily it was just that when we were growing up might go see a Scorsese movie after you've seen like Back to the Future or something like that. You might, you know, go down the list. You know, Cape Fear might not be the movie that you just. I just got to go out and see Cape Fear, but maybe 
Cape Fear after you've seen a couple of the other ones that were big that you planned on seeing, and maybe taking a matinee of Cape Fear, or just like, oh, let's do tonight. Hey, let's go check out a movie before. Well, the movie is the thing that you do, and I think with the movie being the thing that you do, it's always got to be the blockbuster. Um, that's just my feeling on it. Um, you know, of course, I live in, in Philadelphia. I live in a big city now, so you do have more film indie things because there is a little bit more of a market for it. When you get outside the big city, you're getting into the suburbs. That's really what's what's showing. Um, it, it, they're just, you know, you're talking about a, a, a you know, a suburb of 20,000. It's hard to get the ones that are going to, you know, that aren't going to fill the theater as much. It's hard to sell putting that in there because there aren't as many people going to the theater as it is. So you've really got to get the big bankable one in there to get people in the theater. grew up, you know, in the, in the 40s and 50s where TV was just becoming a new thing and the movie theater was it. And everybody went to the movie theater and they went all the time. And he was just captivated by movies. And, you know, we grew up in a time where it was a little bit of both, where you were captivated by movies in the theater, but then you could also start taking in things on VHS. And now we've seen it change where now it's that so much is, is available on streaming and everything. And the movie theater has become so overpriced that it's just happening a lot that a lot of people are going. I don't know if you change that. I don't know how you fix that. I mean, I recently saw Lawrence of Arabia in the movie theater. It was a really great experience. It was really cool. There was maybe like 20 people in the theater with us. It was, it was you know, almost empty. I don't know how you sell that to every movie theater to say, okay, you're going to have a theater with 20 people in it, but it's Lawrence of Arabia. You know, it's, it's, it, I, I think that's part of the problem, but I think that's where Scorsese is coming from. And Scorsese is saying, you know, I want this old movie theater back where there's, there's, you know, there's room for more of us here, and treated that there isn't as much room, and it came out there, it came out in that. That's just my take on it. I, I, I could be kind of off, off track on all these things. I mean, there's my, my theories on how all this works, but it also kind of, you know, kind of how I've lived it. Right? You think of, you know, growing up in the '80s and '90s and seeing how the movie industry has changed in my lifetime. It, it is. You know, yes, I'd also say, too, that as I've gotten older, I, I just don't have the energy to go out as much as I used to for the thing. Uh, so growing up, my parents also didn't go to the movie theater very often uh, once they reached a certain age, so that might be part of it. But I do know a lot of people my age that, that would go into, to, you know, to do make efforts to see movies, uh, especially if there's a low-budget option. So, like, you know, a local theater has a cheap Tuesday night. Oh, let's go check out this movie on the cheap Tuesday night. And I think that you know, if movie theaters had more of that, I think you'd see more of these other pictures that aren't the big blockbuster. You'd see more people need to take a chance on that Scorsese film. Um, I'm just, I don't go to the movie theaters ever. But, you know, if there was a movie theater off um, uh, from where we live, if there was one near us and it had cheap nights, I would probably go more often. I would probably just take a walk over there. And when I lived in Portland, Maine, that was the one that we went to a lot that my friends still go to. I think that might be something that could get people into it more. But I, I just think with the way that it all works now, where it's easier to be home, stream it, and and pay for Netflix, why spend that 50 or 100 bucks to go see Scorsese in the theater when I can stream him at home on Netflix for my own price and, you know, spend that <laughs> probably still some 50 bucks on Grubhub if I don't go pick it up myself. But the idea is the same, right? I think that's that's 
you know, one of the problems. And I don't know. I don't know if you get to a point where the movie industry, it, it flips, right, where they just stop making money and have to dial it back. Corn and concessions, less expensive, and they have to be more of a, a, a bigger, you know, they have to branch out and get more kinds of movies and get more people into the theater to see different things. I don't know. I don't know if that's something that if it ever hits a breaking point and they have to change it. I don't think so. I, I don't see it changing anytime soon, but maybe that will happen. Maybe people, you know, people just get sick of the Marvel movie. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how you can sit for two and a half hours, but I did. I sat for um, Lawrence of Arabia. Of course, there was a, an intermission, so I should point that out that I, I was able to get up in the middle of Lawrence of Arabia, take a walk a little bit and kind of, you know, give my, my 40 year old back a little bit of a break. But so that, that helped a bit. Um, but anyway, so, so that, that's sort of my feeling on that. I think that it's not so much that the Marvel movies are bad. I think it's just that the movie industry itself is very, it's not as inclusive. Because I remember what it was like, you know, in the nineties when I came of age, uh, that it was a different movie industry than it. Maybe I was just lucky enough to grow up in a time where we had one of the best decades for movies ever. And, you know, I think that's part of it. But I think also it is a shame to see directors like Scorsese getting squeezed out a little bit. You, you, you want to see him on the big screen. We want to be able to say we saw Scorsese on the big screen and for more than just a short period. I don't know. Maybe that's what we need to do, right? We need to have the Marvel movie subsidize Scorsese, right? So, you you know, for the Marvel movie to be in the theater, they've got to be able to pay to have the Scorsese. Maybe that's what we need to do. Um, and maybe, maybe then... Of course, they won't be as upset with the Marvel movies if they were uh, subsidizing his films and taking a little bit of that four billion or whatever it is they make and helping it out so we could have some more more of his movies. All right, so looking at the movie I looked at this week, uh, Chopping Mall. So you know, again, I was looking to do three movies for Halloween. So this was the second one I, I had in my head that I wanted to do uh, an, an '80s horror film when I was looking at these and trying to think of what. 80s horror film to do that I hadn't already looked at before and covered on here. So um, I was thinking of different great, you know, uh, low budget horror directors. And I put Jim Wynorski's name in the search bar and Chopping Mall came up and I thought, oh, this is a great one on, on Amazon Prime so I could watch it. Um, my wife, Jen, watched it with me. And I thought it had a lot of elements that I want. You know, the 80s element, of course, it had, you know, Star um, But also like the fact that it took place in a mall. So, so all of that, you know, kind of, came together. Plus, it was a 77-minute runtime, which, again, we know from Matt, uh, the runtime is the most important. And I think, for me, especially with a horror movie, getting in and out in 77 minutes, that that really helps. Now, one of the things I, I, I think that really stood out for, for me when I was watching the movie is just how much commerce has changed in our lifetime. You know, at least for me as a Gen Xer, it changed in my lifetime. When I was growing up, the mall was it. The mall was the place that you went to to buy everything. Or not buy everything, but you, know, you, you went to the mall to buy the cool things, I guess, right? Kmart was where you bought the cheap things, or Bradley is where you bought the cheap things. But the mall was where the good stuff was. And everybody wanted to be at the mall. You wanted to hang out at the mall. Um, you know, you'd go see a movie maybe, and then you'd go to the mall after and hang out with people. And as I was watching the movie, and I'm seeing all the different shops that I remember, you know, like a Radio Shack, uh, Floresheim, those kinds of places. And I'm thinking about what it was like for me going to the mall. You know, a lot of times I would be like, oh, look at that place. Oh, Tom McCann, stuff like that. It did bring back a lot of that. And, you know, nowadays it, it, the malls are dying. A lot of the malls are dying out. Um, when I was visiting my family in New England, uh, a few weeks ago. I had my, my mom uh, take me to the uh, 
she wanted to go do some jogging. I was like, oh, let's let's go check out the the mall. I haven't been to the mall in forever. The mall that I grew up with was just the Fox Run Mall in Newington, New Hampshire. Um, it you know it had been renovated, so the floor would look new. Every once in a while, there'd be a store in a place that I remembered it being, so it hadn't moved yet. But a lot of stuff was completely in different places. Um, a lot of places, you know, you could look at them and be like, oh, that was where the Orange Julius was. Well, now it's an American Eagle, um, that kind of thing. But, you know, it was a Saturday night, and it was not very crowded. There weren't a lot of people there. Um, it had maybe about 75% occupancy, so it wasn't like it was completely uh, you know, a dead mall or dying mall. But it was not the mall that I remember when I was growing up. I remember when you went there, I mean, for us, it was more Friday nights, but I remember, you know, you get the, I'd get my allowance and I'd go to the mall on a Friday night. Of course, I didn't want to spend it all because there was the flea market on Sunday where I'd buy comic books. So, you know, you didn't have to try to parse it out. Um, so that's where Taco Bell came in, right? Because Taco Bell was a really cheap option to eat. Um, you go to the arcade and try to play some video games, watch other people play, um, walk around, you know, see if there's any girls that you knew from school that were at the mall you could talk to, um, you know, be there with friends, you know, maybe one of our friends would have to go buy something, so we'd go with them to go buy something, um, you know, check out the t-shirt shop and see what kind of hair band shirts they had, or later on it was like crunch bands and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, I remember playing Mortal Kombat, that was the big one, right, it was Mortal Kombat, we'd all go and we'd line our quarters up on the screen say who would be next right so that way you'd, you'd be in line to be able to play and you'd, you'd play for like two minutes and you know maybe get beat by the guy who was really good and that was your your thing you know that kind of thing is completely gone right that that mall does not have really much of an arcade you know, there weren't any teens hanging out there um, you know and, and growing up in, in i wouldn't say small town but you know maybe suburban i don't know what you call it um you know new hampshire maine wasn't a lot to do for us uh you know when, when you were under 21 or even under 18, there were a lot of places that you had to be 18. So the mall was just like, it was such a great, fun place to hang out at. And seeing a movie like this really brings it back. It's different from going to the mall myself now and trying to think about what it was like. Or, you know, when you watch on YouTube, you see like Dan Bell, um, Retail Archaeology, they'll go to dead malls and they're really great videos. I love watching those because I, I do love, you know, their, their commentary on them and I love the way that they go through the process. But it's different from when you're watching a movie that takes place in the era when the mall was king. And that was what was really cool. You know, like the idea that you would have robot security, right? No mall nowadays would, would be able to spend the money on mo robot security, right? Because probably when the mall went bankrupt and the holding company that's taking it over, right? They're not gonna pay for robot security. Um, they're just hoping to get some more tenants in there. But to think, you know, back then, I mean, yes, Robot security was kind of crazy, but the idea that you would spend a lot on security for a mall wasn't crazy. That that a mall would be an asset that would be worth protecting like that wasn't crazy because the mall was such a big deal at that time. You know, I think about it Christmas time, where the mall like you couldn't get anywhere near it. So like starting, you'd be getting close to it now, but it would really start in earnest in November, where the parking would just be jammed you you wouldn't be able, you'd have to park like a good half a mile away to walk to the to the mall you would what you you know you but be in the mall you couldn't walk anywhere just be just jammed full of people and it was one of those things where it was like i just need to go in and get this one thing for my mom and get the hell out of there because i don't want anything to do with this mall anymore and now it's like christmas time it, it, it's like nothing it's barely anything there so it's it's interesting you know, kind of seeing how these things have, have transitioned in our, our lives between, or my life at least, um, the mall, movies, all of these things. 
you know, I think with the shopping mall, people blame the internet a lot, and the internet might be part of it, but I also think about places like Target, and I brought this up on the blog, that Target, I, I think, also uh, obviates the mall to some extent, because unlike Kmart or Bradley's or places like that growing up, which weren't cool, right? Kmart was never cool when we were growing up. Target is cool. For, for kids, Target is cool. So why go to the mall when you get everything you need at Target? Um, I remember in, in Springfield, Pennsylvania, near where we used to live, um, in 2015, I went to that Target to get some stuff for us. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to take a stroll through the mall because I, I like malls. I'm, I'm, I've always been a fan of malls. And nobody was doing what I was doing. Nobody was going through the Target entrance as the anchor and going through there. I mean, Target as an anchor is a bad anchor because there's no need to leave Target. You just want to do everything at Target and go. Uh, and, and that was kind of how it looked in there. Like nobody was going through Target. And there were people wandering around, but not much. And one thing that surprised me was I went to the Disney store to see if my, there's something there for my niece. And um, I had my Target bag full of stuff. And a woman was kind of following me around the store. And I'm like, you know, you're worried about me stealing stuff. You should be happy that I'm in here just buying anything in here. But, um, but yeah, so that was, that was kind of it. But I think that was one of the fun things about this movie was just to reminisce like that. Like, you know, 80s movies, they have a way of allowing you to reminisce. You can see the clothing, the styles, uh, the talking, you know, the, the way that they talk about things. You get to see actors that you're familiar with looking younger in those movies, all, all that kind of fun stuff. But this one had that added element of being in the mall, which I thought was really cool. Um, other things that I didn't discuss as much in the movie, but uh, the robots, I, I thought the robots were really cute, uh, which um, I, I think that might have been why Wynorski had them killing people right off the bat, because it's like, you know, they're so cute that it's like, you know, and, and you want them to kill people, right, who deserve to die as a sort of, you know, they're, or if they're killing people who do, you think deserve to die, like the guy who's looking at the centerfold who gets killed right away, um, you think, like, okay, yeah, he deserves it. So they had to kill people who really didn't deserve it for us to, to turn on them. Um, you know, in, in, in previous uh, blogs, I always talk about the Destro effect, which was when you you like the bad guy more than the good guys. And I think this movie really could have gone down that track. I mean, yes, these robots were cute. I don't know if I'd call them cool. Um, you think of, like, the Destro effect. You think of a, the bad guy that's so cool that you just you don't want to see him lose to the good guy. Um, I, I don't know if anybody else had that feeling when you watched Co um, G.I. Joe growing up where you just thought Destro was the coolest thing ever. Destro and the Cobra Commander. But I, I just thought Destro was so cool. And I always rooted for him to beat G.I. Joe. I just and, and so that's why I came up with that term, the Destro effect, to uh, describe whenever the baddie is cooler than the, the good guy and you root for the baddie instead. Um, this one maybe could have done that. I think Wynorski did a good job of splitting, you know, by, by making, as cute as these robots were, he made them malicious enough that that I was rooting for the kids more than, than him, and I wanted to see the kids survive and, and, and get out of it. Um, but it was really cool. Also, that mall was the one that was used in Commando. Uh, I guess the way it worked was that Commando had a bigger budget, so they could shoot during the day. From what I read on IMDb, this movie, of course, was on a micro budget, so they were just using it at night. And I guess the security guys were giving them a hard time when they were filming, but the, the mall owner was excited about the idea of the picture, so he told the security guys to back off or just said, you know, you guys do whatever you got to do. Um, but so they filmed overnight, but I think Commando filmed its scenes during the day. And I don't know how many, I don't, I don't know how long Commando would have had to film there. Um, but I do like the idea. I mean, I, the way I kind of posed it in the blog was the idea that after Commando, they needed to get the robot security in because of how much damage Arnie did to it. But, um, you know, I just, I mean, that, the, the mall is such a great place for an action movie. 
Um, I like the idea of, it in, of a horror movie there, but you know, I think of like the the great um, uh, the, the great um, uh, action movies that take place there, right? You've got Commando, uh, Invasion USA has one of the best mall action scenes ever with Chuck Norris, uh, at least for, in, in my mind. Um, so it was kind of cool to to do a, a a horror movie in a mall again, uh, you know, to do, do something a little bit different than than doing an action movie in a mall. Um, but this did have some action elements because the the main characters go to a uh, the sporting goods store to get guns and shoot. So um, another thing I liked about this movie is the idea that you would be able to buy guns in the mall. Um, you were able to buy gasoline in the mall. I don't think, I, I guess maybe growing up you could buy guns in the mall, actually, now that you mentioned I think Monkey Wards, you could buy guns at Monkey Wards. Now that you mention it, now I guess you could have bought guns in the mall, at the mall. Like, this was, would have been, Monkey Wards was in the, the Newington Mall. We had two malls where I, I lived, uh, one right near the other. Um, the old mall, the Newington Mall, had a Monkey Wards. So maybe that's that's where you'd be able to buy your guns. But, you know, a lot of kind of stuff like that. Um, probably my favorite nostalgia moment for me, or my favorite moment of, like, I'd forgotten about how things were in the past. Um, one of the characters, the, 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 the couple in the movie, they have sex, and then the, the female character, she wants cigarettes. So she sends the boyfriend out to buy cigarettes, and he's like, what do you want me to just break into the whatever convenience store or whatever and get you some cigarettes. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, how is he going to buy cigarettes after the mall is closed, right? There's there's no place it's going to be open for him to buy cigarettes. Is he just going to break into one of the stores like that? Of course, I forgot there were vending machines for cigarettes back then, right? So he was just going to the vending machine to buy cigarettes there, um, which was, you know, growing up, that was like a big deal. You had vending machines. Like, how many restaurants did you go to? And you'd, you'd see cigarette vending machines. Um, now, I don't know if they still have those. They must still have them in some places, like maybe like strip clubs or something like that. But, you know, that was the 80s and, and into the 90s where you could buy cigarettes in a vending machine. And, and now we, we don't have any of that stuff anymore. All right. So in terms of the movie itself, I'm definitely I think it's a really great one um, on the, the Facebook page. It was really great. Uh, Simon had, had Simon Miller had mentioned that there is a Vestron video Blu-ray version of it. So the version that I watched was on Amazon. But the Vestron video version, that could be really interesting. Um, I don't know what kind of features, but they looks like they're releasing a lot of stuff. Um, they also re released a version of Blood Diner, which looks like it could be cool. They're doing the Wishmasters and the Warlocks. So interesting to see what they're going to do with those. Um, but I, I watched it on Amazon uh, Prime. So if you've got Prime, I think that's a good way to stream it. Also, um, there was the, the other mention was that it was on um, uh, a, a DVD that came with like a whole bunch of you know, I guess, what, what do we say, like a one of those five-pack DVD kinds of things, right, where you get five movies for the price of one. Um, and so that was a another way you could get a copy of this if you were looking for it. I'm trying to see who, um, let's see here. And that was that was Chris McGainey um, who, who uh, posted that on the, the Facebook page. He has it on DVD, and he mentioned that he had one that was like, I think it was like five in one. So that might be a, a low-cost way to get it. But, yeah, if you're a movie collector, I think that the, the Blu-ray might be the way to go. All right, so I guess it's time to wrap this up. Um, you know, just to, before I wrap up, I wanted to do a, give a couple of shout outs to people that have helped us out with, with the blog over time. Um, earlier in the, the blog was I mentioned John Cross at the After Movie Diner. He created our theme song to this, which we're still using. So I big thank you to him for that. If you haven't checked out the After Movie Diner, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, my experience is the best way to find him is on Instagram. I, let, I use Instagram a lot, so that's where I find him. He's always posting about what he's up to, what, what they're going to be doing, but he's really on all the social media platforms. Uh, but yeah, really great podcast. He did some really great interviews. He, he really is able to 
he's been getting some really great people on there. I know that Peter Weller recently, um, Scott Atkins was on his show. So really, really great people on his show. Definitely worth checking out. Also, my old friend Heather Courier, uh, so I think she's still living in Maine, but um, old friend of mine, she created the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur logo that you see, the one with the, the VHS tape where it says Direct-to-Video Connoisseur. She created that for us back in 2007, um, and we're still using it, still you know working for us. And I, I just you know, great thank you, you know, big thank you to her for that. All these years later, um, I remember I asked her, you know, could you come up with a logo, and she came up, gave this back to me, like you know like five or ten minutes and it was perfect um i, I think it's still perfect I, I love that that logo um so you know thank you again to her so you know two really big and valuable additions to to our podcast that have just really helped us out over time and again i want to thank everybody too who's you know um everybody who's, who's commented on the facebook page retweeted the tweets uh, commented on the blog all that and been supporting us all this time it it really was not something I intended for us to go all this time without, you know, all this time on hiatus. I never planned on that. And I'm sorry it happened. And I'm hoping we can kind of get it back on track here and get things moving again. So I appreciate everybody's patience. I don't know if, it, if patience is the right word or maybe just, uh, you know, sticking by us. And, you know, not necessarily that everybody really had to do anything to stick by us because I, I know you know, just if you're just liking the page, when I say something on Facebook, you're going to get it in your, your feed. But I just appreciate that people are we're excited that we got back on and I'm, I'm glad that people were still supporting us and I, I appreciate all of the support and you know by all means you know feel free to get on Facebook as well and you know make suggestions or let us know if there's anything that you you want us to look at or, or something that we're not looking at that you you, you think would be really great um, by all means also to anybody who, who's got a film out there that they want us to look at I'm doing probably one screen or a month right now that's the plan going forward but I could always up that number and maybe take away another review so you know feel free to reach out you can message me on the facebook page you can also email me on the, uh, the yahoo page it's a uh, dtv connoisseur at yahoo.com i am looking at that email again so i'm, I'm happy to you know going to try to respond as quickly as i can to uh, queries and questions that come on that as well all right thank you everybody i uh, hope you have a great week and I, I will talk to you all again soon redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.